Okay, we are so excited to welcome JD Singh to the Affordable Housing Podcast today because JD brings about a ton of experience on how to creatively structure deals to turn what might be not an opportunity for some folks, like looking at a hotel on Craigslist, into a multi-million dollar opportunity while you're able to help folks. Today, JD has experience with Project Home Key, which is a state program in the state of California that potentially has funding that can be directed towards turning older properties like hotels, mostly family properties, into homes that can help serve the homeless, uh, youth aging out of the foster system. There are going to be so many tips and gems in, in this interview. Like JD is a master at being creative, coming up with different opportunities and businesses that you can put right inside your apartment buildings to increase the value of your home and increase your operating income thinking outside the box you know in multifamily again we always think about value add other businesses within your multifamily so uh, when, within my multi i walked into one of my multifamily projects and the sales manager there was on her phone i said why am i paying you if you're on your phone i said let me add a ups store here you know a ups store uh, basically i got a notary certified I have mailboxes there. People can do their FedEx, UPS, and I'm making more money doing, I'm making, adding that to my NOI. And on top of that, what else can you do in a, a multifamily? You can't wash your cars. Well, you can put a portable car wash. You can lease those for $2,000. I clear $3,000 and need more business, you know? So without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Boom. Welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got JD, a really, really master investor in the real estate space when it comes to multifamily, when it comes to creative solutions. And today, we're going to have him on talking about affordable housing, Project Home Key in the state of California. So I'm super excited to bring him on and my guest co-host today, Alvin Hope Johnson. Welcome back to the show, Alvin. How you doing, man? Ken, thank you, man. Glad to be here with you. JD, nice to meet you this afternoon. So excited to to learn something from you today. So Ken, likewise. You're the man. Let's do it, man. So JD, let's just get to know you a little bit better. Uh give us a little bit about your background and how'd you even get started with real estate and affordable housing? Sure. So JD Singh, I uh, grew up in Southern California. All my family's ever been here in Southern California. Uh, just recently, I'm now moved to Sacramento, about an hour north of Sacramento called Roseville, Granite Bay. Um, you know, I went to school in Southern California, did my college, and uh, I happened to be by trade a bariatric surgeon. Um, so I practiced medicine for a few years, kind of the opposite of in real estate development. And so there was a point in my um, life, it kind of took a turn. Uh, you know, basically, uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial uh, family but i grew up poor and hungry motivated uh this was not the standard of living i wanted to live uh, we live in the greatest country in the world with all the opportunities but at the same time there were things that were left behind for other people uh that they could have done or we could have done as a community or society so basically i moved to the east coast for the past 15 years did my residency and fellowship in uh, new york uh, I practiced medicine um, for a few years, two, three years. And uh, during that time, I'm, I'm heavily invested in hotels, self-storage, multifamily, uh, flex space, industrial, um, and um, uh, multifamily land development, and a lot of land development-wise, too. So back in 2012, I bought my first hotel as a silent partner. And during that time, my first child was born, Jaden, and... Uh, 
I wasn't there to see him. Literally, I was in the OR operating. And, you know, I kind of took a step back. I said, hey, what? why am I working so hard? And I'm missing out with my, you know, the big things in life, you know, when my first child was born. So I kind of took a step back and I said, you know, there, there's a time where your money should work for you. So I kind of changed my, uh, my thought there. Hey, let me step back. You know, let me practice medicine. You know, medicine has been great, a great profession, but it became more procedure based, you know, more procedures I do, the more money I made. So I had to be stuck in the OR. We're doing one surgery and I got to do three surgeries. And so I just said, hey, you know, Destiny, you know, I'm just going to take a leap of faith. I love real estate. I'm a wheeler dealer. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, benefit society in any capacity I can. Um, so we're happily married for the past 15 years, just turned 40 last week and uh, been uh, loving it. So, you know, as you know, as age one goes, I'm living life and, uh, and my as years are going, I've been uh, loving the life added at the same time. Um, so, you know, what happened was, you know, during COVID, uh, a lot of things had changed, you know, our hotels kind of died um, and, uh, and self storage did okay, could have done better office space of course died so it was an unpredictable time and i just you know i just got it we used to buy multifamily, sell multifamily, and uh, you know just you know wanted to pay for speed you know so you know learned more about multifamily. how can i uh kind of grow this portfolio of ours uh as a group so then you know so i kind of stepped back and said hey you know with affordable housing or some people need a place to live and uh, with that being in mind, there was always government assistance. And so it was basic. It, it's a basic necessity of everyday living. Um, so, so that's where I kind of went into the affordable housing realm of stuff, uh, kind of make a difference. You know, uh, one thing I believe is, you know, one thing Muhammad Ali always said, you know, service to other is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. So, you know, at the same time, if I can make money, uh, and helping them at the same time, there's no better profession like that. I mean, it's like the medical field in the same way, uh, but medicine's kind of changed. It, it became more of a bureaucracy. And I wanted to bring that together here. Uh, and, and honestly, I grew up poor. You know, I'm the only child here, but I didn't have the all the necessities. My I'm Indian. Uh, my parents came here with nothing, literally. And uh, just having the most basic necessity, I changed my whole perspective uh, in everything, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't get the special toys, but I was glad that I had a roof, you know, basic home, nothing special. But I saw my friends with, you know, the nicest cars, nicest luxury, and that made me hungry. Um, again, you know, just, you know, my parents drove me to education, education. And uh, but at the same time, I was always, you know, selling books at school and, uh, you know, I had that business mindset of things. Um, and the, the thing that a home is the most stable thing, you know, it, it grows a community, it grows uh, uh, lives, you know, test scores go up. And it, it's a factor. It's a trickle down kind of a thing. You know, the one example I always go, you know, the smallest things always have a big effect. When the iPhone came out back in 2006, uh, you know, the restaurant sales went down, you know, which was funny. But, you know, why would restaurant sales go with one small, small device? Because they couldn't turn over those tables because people were staying longer. 
in the restaurant. And the same thing with the housing, you know, we, we, people say, oh, we just need to build more homes, more homes, more homes. But that building more homes is one thing, but it, it, it also impacts uh, social economics. Uh, there were studies done by John Hopkins, uh, you know, your lifespan is always is determined by social economics. Um, also, a person's a success in life also determines by social economics. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's not a, it's a necessity, uh, you know, it could be a basic right of need, but a home, it, it brings so many things to people's lives. Uh, just a simple thing, you know, we're here in the greatest country, you know, 90, uh, I would say being here in this country, 90, we're better than 90% of the world. You know, other countries don't have, they have to think about the next meal, the next water, a roof over the head. But here we have we have the most GDP, we have everything, but we sometimes forget the necessity of a basic home. And uh, so, you know, so like I said, a home is where a dream begins. And uh, so, you know, that kind of gets to where I'm at with affordable housing. Uh, you know, it, it's it's it kind of um, it blows my mind right now. It's cheaper to rent than buy a home at the same time, you know, but 7.1 million uh, people um, are living day to day. They're spending more on their, uh, on their income, on their rent. So half of their rent is going to uh, buying a home or renting a home. And, you know, that's pretty sad, you know, uh, in this time. And, you know, affordable housing is the anchor to a community in general. I mean, it brings every stepping stone. Um, so, you know, there's a shift happening in today's market right now with inflation growing so high. Uh, people, you know, groceries are going up, uh, you know, just everyday necessities. And so what you're seeing in the market right now is class A multifamily is staying put. I mean, they can afford it. But you're seeing where class B is moving to class C. Class C is moving to class D. Now, Class D, what do they do? They're going to mobile home parks. From mobile home parks, what happens? From mobile home parks, they're going to weekly hotels, transient hotels, daily hotels. And if they cannot afford that, what happens then? Then now we are increasing uh, more homelessness. Uh, so that's the way shift. And as things are continuing, we are seeing that. You know, we're about, they're saying about, Seven million homes. I'm mean, sorry, seven to eight million homes short in the United States. Uh, half a million people that we know uh, that are um, uh, that don't even have they're homeless in general. Um, and there's a lot of creative programs out there, but at the same time, there's lack of education uh, to the general public. And I think you know, if like your podcast here. Uh, teaching people what is affordable housing because there's a lot of myth as, out there and you know the you know the thing is that we can we accept there's housing shortages uh but the you know there you know we can build build more homes but at the same time people think okay uh you know that building homes new homes decreases uh price value of homes that's not correct research has shown it does not you know um so i'm always trying to promote educate people about what homes are and what affordable homes are because there's a lot of myths out there you know but jd i think what i want to get into next is oh, what kind of projects are you working on nowadays oh, okay. and okay. help the help the audience understand like 
what has been your experience? You mentioned some hotels in the past. You're doing some multifamily. I know yeah, we had a conversation. You talk about project home key and some yeah, yeah, office okay. conversion. You talk about. Yeah, let's, yeah. Go, let's go through that. Okay. Uh, tell so, us some, yeah, a little bit on the project. Sorry. So right now we're working on a project. So Project Home Key is a, a program that was kind of created in, co in COVID uh, COVID times. And what happened was there there are a lot of people that were you know sick and they didn't have places to stay. And you know there was the spread of the disease and infections. Um, so basically, Project Home Key uh, is mostly targeted to a homeless uh, to develop more uh, stable housing, permanent transient housing options. Uh, is where you convert multifamily hotels uh, into more permanent housing, and uh, so it's basically a housing first policy. Um, it, you know, addresses youth uh, and families, educational, and a certain degree of mental health. Uh, you know, there have been last two rounds of uh, home key right now, and they're working on the third one right now. Uh, basically, in the last two rounds, it's spent about two thousand two billion dollars. Uh, built about 7,000 7, homes and served about 75,000 people. At the same time, what makes uh, HomeKey, it's a faster track program. You, you know, you're taking existing properties and you're modifying them in permanent housing where, you know, a cost to build a new um, multifamily for any kind of housing is anywhere between uh, 380000 to 570000 in California where you can take an existing property and uh, the conversion is about 130,000 per room. And these are per room things. Um, the project is on a first come first basis. Um, you know, they give a Nova um, and you fill it out. Um, basically it's it's on a rubric numbering system where, uh, you know, they, they're, they kind of, there's a lot of uh, um, parameters to it. Basically, uh, you know, how close the school is, how close is public transportation, hospital, grocery stores, um, and the targeted population, how many, um, the demographics, how many people, how many youth set aside are there that need housing? Um, and uh, how many people, and another thing is how many people are going to be displaced with that conversion as well? Um, the project is typically you have, it is a state program funded by the federal government as well. Um, and so basically, I'll just give you an example. I have a um, uh, so back in uh, 22, April 22, we had saw a, a hotel for sale. And, you know, anything I do, I always have a two way out. And, and I was right going, just going through, uh, going somewhere and happened to listen to the radio and something came about, you know, homelessness and stuff like that. That, you know, how I wanted to say how I could impact this and make a difference and at the same time make some money off of it. So, you know, the last place you would ever find a hotel was on Craigslist. So this hotel was <laughs> in Craigslist in Central California. And uh, it was mismanaged. It was private. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of things, upgrades the owner had done, but there were some partnership problems. And um, some of the partners were out overseas. And so what happened is, okay, we looked in it. We put a um, an offer in going back and forth for a couple of months. And, you know, we said, okay, I thought, hey, we have two ways to we run this as a hotel or our primary target is to if we can kind of give an option and sell it to California or to the city. Um, so, you know, we bought it. We closed it in April of 22. I kept on cold calling for the next two, three weeks to the state. How do I, you know, I have this great property in the in the near vicinity. There is, you know, a lot of um, people that need care. Um, and so I kept cold calling and, you know, they tell me call here call there they said well you need to get a hold of the city so i got a hold of the city the city was interested at the same time but they didn't want to take care take 
go on on this project by itself. Um, so they said, find us a sponsor. So, you know, find a sponsor, which would be a local uh, nonprofit developer. Uh, kept calling for another two weeks, found another um, developer, nonprofit who's done home key, got them all into, you know, got them contact with the state, with the city. And uh, about a month later, we went into contract and they loved it. They did their feasibility and there was a, a big need. Um, and in the city, they had done another home key project. And this one also needed it because they were short. Uh, they had about, about 250 families. Uh, this uh, hotel I have is about 125 rooms. And uh, so we're still in the process. Um, the, they're about to announce awards coming up soon. Um, it is a great program. Uh, but there's a lot to it. You know, you have to do all noise studies. You know, there's uh, you need to have contracting bids and all that good stuff. So, uh, it, so thank God the local developer knows the process. It is a long, lengthy process. The city is giving about nine to ten million out of their proceeds, and the rest from, uh, a little from the county, and then the rest will come from the state. Um, typically, you know, they start uh, uh, remodeling, uh, rehabbing them. Um, immediately once it closes uh, for our, this project, 125 will be 76 units, 76 to 79 units, uh, which will put 25% for youth um, and families and the rest for transient homes. Um, so basically, that was the biggest thing, how I found that deal as well. Wow, JD, that is, that is, um, that's powerful. So you're taking existing hotels and and potentially could be office buildings it, it could be it could be even office uh so it could be so in this program it is for multifamily or hotels um so there is some construction budget it is um you know it i would say about 50 percent of it goes towards construction and rehabbing it um so yeah so you could take anything um you know another thing they um i like you, you can even change um a lot of office space especially in san francisco there's mm -hmm. a lot of office spaces that are going um going a flop or you know there's 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 a room for them to uh there's no room for people to rent them or lease them so basically uh, in a office space what happens is you have the outer structure okay right. everything inside is hollow so a lot, you know, a lot of developers, people say, oh, it's going to be too hard. You know, you can't change it. This and that. It's actually easier uh, to change a multi, uh, sorry, a office space into some kind of affordable housing. Uh, what you want to do is call it adaptive reuse. Okay. Yeah. So when you do adaptive reuse, it changes the whole uh, parameters, per permitting, engineering. And, you know, a lot of, you know, people always complain, oh, we have to put a window in each of these suites or each of these apartments inside an office. But that's not true. What you got to do, there's ways around it. You literally cut a hole in the top and bring it all the way down. And that suffices your window for each room. So there's ways around it. You know, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Well, and that's great that and you you mentioned that you said you found this to be a more cost effective way of providing housing than trying to Correct. go out in California today and build a brand new building. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, because it, uh, the things is that, you know, uh, you know, especially in California, there's a lot of red tape, you know, and there's so many things you have to do. So, you know, building, getting entitlement, zoning um, and stuff like that, it kind of uh, makes this a faster pace in a way than building out, you know, because, you know, entitlement can take 18 months to two years in California. 
Right. And ho- God, ho- hopeful there's nothing mitigation or environmental stuff like that. Um, so this is the biggest and the quickest way um, to resolve you know, affordable housing at this point. Wow. And, and a lot of those funds are coming from state and Fed to help with that? Yeah. So I would say three-fourths of it is coming from the coronavirus um, back when those laws were thing uh, for uh, housing. And uh, and so a lot of that funds were even given to the cities as well, uh, depending on population. Um, and a quarter of that comes from the state itself. Uh, right now, we are at a Project Home Key 3. Th- they're saying this is the last one, uh, but there is talks in the state assembly right now that there might be, because of the success in this pro, that there might be a, a fourth around as well uh, in the next couple of years. But for the time being, it is the uh, only one they know of right now. Well, J.D., I want to make sure I call it to listeners. I, I'm not sure if they picked up on it, but you you locked up a hotel and then you made the cold calls to the city. And then the city told you to go find a developer. And then you went to co-call developers. That is so mind-blowing for some of the listeners right now. They're thinking, what do you mean? I, I thought I should have had a buyer. I thought I should have a whole plan figured out before I even get a property under a contract. I, I mean, that w- that took some courage, to say the least, because that could be really scary if you locked up a property without having your exit strategy in place. If you had to do it over, w- would there be any sort of changes in the process that you would approach it differently? Like, would you have like, hey, let me go develop a relationship with the city and developer first and then look for the deal? What are your thoughts there? So, like I said, I so I had two ways and I said I can run this as a hotel. So uh, during the whole process, I got a franchise as another brand. So I, I branded as another hotel uh, and it's and it's right now is working as a hotel until this closes. So right now I am making money as a hotel at the same time, the bigger, I would say the bigger dollars are with the uh, state program here with project home key. Uh, but I'm still running as a business and it's still running and I have guests there every day. Um, so, uh, like I said, I wouldn't change it the way I did. I had two ways. I had a plan with two ways. I'm going to do this. My main way would be with project home key where I run this as a hotel franchise right now. Um, if, if it didn't work that way, I was going to remodel the whole thing, put new furniture, and proceed to the next step. Wow, that is smart. Alvin, did you have any questions about that one? (laughs) Well, you know, he said when he started, every deal he goes in, he's looking at multiple exit strategies, right? And so we think about that, you know, is is this going to be a hotel? Is this going to be something that we can turn into housing? So, Ken, anytime we're looking at land development opportunities, we're, we're looking... Can this be market rate? Can this be affordable so that we always have a way of, of financing and then, you know, bringing a product to market? So I love that, J.D. Does that come from your medical training to think like that or what? <laughs> you, you know, you know, we uh, the way I was trained, we always look at a specific problem first. You know, if your elbow is hurting, we stuck there and then you look at other factors, you know. Uh, you know, it's just not one way thinking there's so much to it. You know, everything, like I said, everything trickles down to small things, you know. You see the forest or you see the trees. Right. I love it. Love it. So, JD, you talked a little bit about the rubric system. And what I want to do is help paint a picture for the audience to say, well, I want to make an impact. There's some funding that's available. How do I take advantage of it to do good with what I'm doing with my time and also look for a deal that might interest someone like JD and Alvin? All right. So, if you were to give some advice, like what should or what types of properties should our listeners really be focused on looking out for 
to take advantage of the Project Home Key program. Any advice there? So, you know, I always say, you know, um, you know, in any development, everything starts from the local politics of things. You know, it's the most important thing. Any development is always local politics. And, you know, you got to look at the grand scheme of the vicinity. Is there a need? I mean, just going outside in the atmosphere, just checking, hey, is there people that, you know, there there's industries there, but people don't have houses. You look at the socioeconomics, demographics, um, start there very simply and then go to the city and say, hey, what is your need? How many people are displaced, uh, you know, or go to your local, um, I would say, affordable housing authority um, and find out the statistics there um, or in your backyard and um, and just look. And uh, I would start there and then start looking for land development wise or an existing hotels or multifamily and underwrite it with the exit plan, you know, um, kind of is selling it or if you can run it as section eight or affordable housing there's a lot of grants out there the problem is a lot of people don't know you know the the, the hcd in california has a whole list of different programs they have programs for the tribal indians i mean they have things for where there there's even a pro program if you have a fourplex they will even help you remodel the they'll give you some subsidies to help you remodel it and you can master lease it to um, to the city and stuff like that. So, like I said, there's a lot of factors, uh, but I can be more than happy to help anyone in the audience if they need any suggestions or help like that. Got it. Oh, Alvin, you were on mute. You were asking something. No, I said, wow, that's... Uh... So JD, I I can I hear your giving spirit, right? You you don't mind helping somebody. You were a doctor. You wanted to make a uh, an impact on humanity, uh, but then you want to take care of your family. How important is it? You know, we spoke about this I think before we start recording. But how 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 do you think how important is it for affordable housing that we have this that we have this component? How how important is it to families? that what we're doing is really a real thing. Like, like I mentioned, you know, it's the anchor to a community. And, you know, the thing is that, you know, test scores, you know, long-term relationships are built by uh, affordable housing. Um, and uh, so, you know, like I said, you know, it, 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 it's, a, you know, we think a, it, it's a big, it's a small thing to someone, but it, it has a huge impact in uh, everyone's lives. Um, long-term relationships, uh, you know, I remember in the cul-de-sac where everyone used to ride a bike, have friends, long-term friends. I still, my neighbors from 20, 30 years, I'm still, I'm still in contact with them. Um, schools uh, and uh, relationships, it, it builds families, you know, it builds community, it builds jobs. It brings, you know, like I said, churches, uh, it just, it brings so much to it, you know. Um, you know, it, it just, you know, like, like there's a lot of myths, like I was discussing, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people say, hey, the affordable housing doesn't look the same as a regular house. Well, the, the conformities and everything look the same. You can't even tell what's affordable housing these days. They look even sometimes nicer uh, than a lot of the other projects. Uh, so, like I said, it's it, it's it's everything, you know, it's where dreams are built. If the walls can speak, uh, they'll speak stories within a home. Uh, so, you know, it's the smallest thing, a roof over someone's head, uh, protect, you know, protects them, 
you know, things, memories are made. I remember Christmases where my family used to come, uh, memories are made. So like I said, it, it's everything to any life, to anyone. So it's the most basic thing. I love that. Yeah, it is. Well, JD, um, you talked a little bit about like the impact of schools and obviously the, the effects that it has on a family's life, right? So the qualifying criteria or the scoring system on how these projects get prioritized, is there like top three to five things or criteria that kind of prioritizes a project for funding via Project Home Key? Is it schools? Is it distance? Is it crime? Help the audience understand a little bit better if there is a priority list for the, the heavily weighted criteria. So basically, it's not a, it's a very easy program to qualify. So the basic thing is, is looking at how much the city is willing to give in that project if the majority of that budget goes there. Um, the second thing is a first-come, first basis. So if your application is the first one and you meet the 120-point minimum, and the, to, uh, to get 120 points is fairly easy, then your program is fairly certain to get in. Um, and the biggest and the most important is geographics. Um, you know, uh, the geographics is the biggest um, thing that you have to look at um, is socioeconomics, you know, uh, how close schools are, is there, and then there's, uh, there's a special set aside within that, within Project Home Key, where if there's a lot of youth that are uh, displaced, they get priority, they get extra points for stuff like that. Um, how close is public transportation? Um, your ne basic necessities, hospitals, grocery stores, stuff like that. So like the biggest thing, I would say the top three, uh, geographics, how much is the state, uh, sorry, the city or the county willing to budget in? Um, and the third thing would be the proximity of things as well. Um, JD, can this be used for new construction as well or no? So there are other programs, but not for Project Home Key. Project Home Key was done for more pay for speed kind of a thing. Okay. But there are other programs within the NOVA for new uh, construction uh, as well, different grants and different criteria. Awesome. So, JD, you mentioned, um, you know, the city is kind of for the deal that you're working on, they're bringing like nine, ten million dollars to the deal. And there's obviously a developer involved. Right, developer already has some experience with Project Home Key. Uh, what type of developer fits best for this program? Are we, are we talking about your typical multifamily construction or GCs that are well versed in renovating and converting apartments straight up, or is there another type of skill set that's really involved in picking the right developer that can pull off and meet all the compliance requirements for Project Home Key? Uh, so typically, uh, you know, since this is a new program, my my set aside or my my thing was if someone had experience uh, in this in the you know the company we have the local they have done uh, they're probably one of the ones with that have done the most as a private local a nonprofit developer. Um, they you know they are new construction. They have done projects in Central California. Um, they have been in business for twenty years. They have done new deal. They have not just done that. They have done affordable housing. Uh, in different uh, areas in the country as well. Um, they do have uh, experience. Uh, they, they do have a management system too, um, as well. It's not just, you know, they build it. They have to, they have to be a developer. They have to provide education, a 24, um, a 24 hour management, uh, for those, uh, homeless people or transient guests. 
um, uh, education programs, mental health programs. So it's not just, you know, a general contractor come, you know, fixes it up and then move along. They also manage that program for the next 50 years. Wow. So the developer is also not only in charge of renovations, but they are expected to stay on as a property manager and as a manager. Yes. I want to make sure I understand uh, that. Okay. Yes, yes, they are. And they get, you know, they get fees for that as well. Developer fees, uh, asset management fees and stuff like that. Those programs sound a lot like the programs that we do in our tax credit housing. You know, we have Correct. to set aside so many units for 50%, 60% and 80% AMI. And then Correct. we have to bring in, uh, have to we get to bring in after school programs backpacks feeding the kids during the summertime uh financial literacy we put in uh labs computer labs for the residents to use and so all of that is it's it's not just the housing right it's really giving them a leg up because sometimes they might not even have a computer if they've been transient living and so now you've got a computer lab here that they can actually come in and use and and start applying for work and etc so that's Man, I love that, J.D., that you found that program to be able to convert some of your assets into something that will work well for you, but also to provide housing for these residents. It's a win-win solution, uh, yeah. honestly. I mean, there is uh, there's a lot of opportunities. And the thing is that a lot of people don't take uh, take advantage of these programs. I and mean, a lot of the times there's extra funds there that were there, but no one used it, you know. Um, I think what kind of propelled affordable housing in this time was covid um, people and it, it kind of ex uh, man, it went twofold. I would say the speed and now uh, you know a lot. The Biden administration is now t uh, giving more funds. The feds are giving more funds to big uh, metropolitan cities now to tackle this uh, problem too. Um, like I said, you know, there's a lot of red tape um, that needs to go away. A um, lot of the, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the um, housing, the Fed housing budget, uh, two thirds of it benefits uh, the homeowners who own homes. And one third of the budget just goes to federal uh, housing subsidies. Um, so, you know, like say if you're an existing homeowner, you take advantage of it. But the, the budget hasn't changed much to for subsidies right now. And that's a big gap between ownership and being Correct. at the bottom of the barrel needing affordable housing, right? There are a lot of people, and I don't mean bottom of the barrel like bad. I mean, there's a big gap between being a homeowner and needing affordable housing. There are a lot of people in the middle of that. Absolutely. And it's uh, pretty sad to stay, you know, and uh, that's why we need to have unique programs like a home key um, to tackle these issues yeah. um, because, um, like I said, it, it brings so much to the community, you know, um, and it and, and it, it changes the ends disparity in the, in housing too. You know, there's that big gap, and with just having housing, it changes, it builds communities, people work together. And so, with that project home key, um, these units are going to be, you said, primarily for residents that have had chronic homelessness or transit. Correct. Correct. Yeah, okay. uh, so basically, a lot of these uh, rooms would be one bedroom, one bath. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, now you know, you know you'll, for e every two rooms you have in a hotel, there'll be one to have a you know a kitchen, kitchenette, uh, one bedroom, a common space, and a bathroom. Um, and as people with a bigger family, there's I think twenty five percent of that um, of that um, project is set for youth, 
so family. So there'll be two bedrooms um, as well. No, I like that. I love that actually. And JD, you said the set aside for youth. Help us understand what does that mean, set aside? Are these youth like aging out of the foster system? I want to make sure I explain some of these terms that people might not be fully aware of. Without your so, uh, uh, so kids are who are homeless, basically, with families, you know, or, uh, or youth that are foster kids or in the streets whatsoever. Um, so anyone under 18, basically. Got it. And that's a, and when you set aside, right, that's just like a agreement you make with a city or a county, like, Hey, in exchange for you guys putting in some of the funding here, we commit to setting aside some of those units. I exactly. want to make sure people understand. It. Got it. Yes. Correct. Got it. And is, and and is it typically a 50% set aside? No. So each project is different. Okay. So you get, you get priority if you tackle or take care of the youth, because there's a big need. Um, with the youth, a lot of developers or cities don't like it because there's more there's more entail to it. It's not just, you know, like I said, you have to have uh, education programs, uh, daycare, stuff like that. So it's a little bit more elaborate than just building it and, you know, you have a place to stay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that probably speaks to why you want certain nonprofit developers JVing with you guys on this deal. Because JD, I imagine where you only pick any developers or property managers, asset managers that have relationships with support services. So you can't just throw people into a community and expect them to thrive. You need to make sure there is a certain level of support that helps them walk through those different steps of process that helps them improve their life, right? Hopefully, and kind of move out from that space and onto the next phase of their lives. So uh, do... What, do you know what type of programs like some of your developers or that you're partnering with Project Home Key like actually offer to the members of the communities? Yeah, so they they offer um, occupational uh, education. You know, simple things like uh, how to do a resume. Um, they offer daycare uh, while someone's going for an interview, something like that. Uh, these are different developers have their own programs within it, but uh, these are some programs that I know of. Well, some developers have done. Um, they have programs as, you know, computer literacy, a lot of things, you know, a lot of people don't know how to use run a computer. Um, they, and, uh, also, um, you know, uh, family, you know, the one thing is mental health is a big issue right now within the homelessness right now. So there's counselors that come once a week, uh, address that social, uh, social therapist as well. Um, programs to help with children build bonds, build communities, stuff like that. Um, you know, they have playgrounds, um, games provided. Um, I've seen some developers have make a special kids room where there's arcades, ping pong, stuff like that. Ar um, so a lot of different places just to keep people busy. Um, and just, you know, what it is, mm -hmm. is to make in a community, you know, it's not just that you're homeless, but this is a place to yes. stay, uh, but be part of that community. That's exactly right. And JD, maybe this is a good next question for you is this sounds like an amazing program, but we talked about bureaucracy and red tape. Um, what most people don't take action or why most people don't take action is because they get fear because they don't know what's coming or what problems might come up. Can you share like maybe two or three problems that you have come across while trying to facilitate a deal for Project Home Key and how did you solve what were those problems and how did you solve them? Okay, yeah, I, I just want to go one step back. You know, you know, one thing in life, it's all about execution, you know, you know, what would have, could have, should have. 
You know, I always tell my kids, you know, the most expensive real estate in the world is not the Burj Khalifa, it's not the Taj Mahal, it's the graveyard. Why? Because for a fact, there were ideas that were never pursued. There were desires, there were deals that were never thing, you know, fears, you know, uh, you know, you know, like the Henry Ford used to say, uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right either way. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, at any any project you have, there's always going to be problems. You know, so with uh, with one of the projects was, you know, with bureaucracy, cities tend to move slow. You know, when you have the application, you have everything, you have to go get a city approval. There's minutes uh, you have to get approval from the city attorney. Uh, so, like I said, you have like when you have a program that's first come, first basis, there's m- a lot of multiple things you have to get collect and get ahead of time. Um, so the biggest headache was for us is the speed, you know, uh, you know, going planning, going back. It's not just one person. OK, it's a good thing. Let's try you have to go to the city hall, city council, mayor. You got to do some PR with them and show them the benefits of the program uh, and tell them, you know, because everything is time sensitive. And, you know, when money's out, it's out, you know, it's too bad, too luck, you know, um, that, that would be the biggest thing I'm saying is just getting the moving parts all together uh, and just getting a completed application to the state on time. Then the state, uh, you know, always comes back with, I would say a lot of irrelevant questions, you know, uh, you know, the things that don't matter. Um, so, you know, it's just, like I said, it's something that should be easy to do. There's always two, three steps, you know, it's like going to the DMV, you know, you go for one thing, then they add two more, three <laughs> things, you know? Uh, so, you know, it's bureaucracy at its finest. It, it has a streamline, just put it that way. There's no, there's not a working system, you know, as things come up, more, uh, more questions pop up, you know? Um, so if you can get all your I's and T's straightened out, do all the uh, reports, feasibility studies, their sound testing, you know, they have to have a construction survey, appraisals. If you can get all those things lined up beforehand and have a completed application, your life's much easier. So just take the necessary small step in getting that complete ed- education and completing the application because that application is pretty lengthy. And if you guys need any help, you got JD to help with the application process. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think JD, there's a really big lesson in there where everyone thinks like, oh, I want to know everything before I get started. And this is just not one of those scenarios. So you really have to question yourself, like, are you dedicated enough to providing affordable workforce housing to take on this mountain of work, but also push through when push comes to shove? Because that's what's going to happen. And I think the theme here is like if you anticipate these issues and just spend extra 15 30 minutes every day like hey let's just over communicate here a little bit let's make sure everyone's on the same page let's make sure we're all moving towards the same goal together that can make your life infinitely easier just from pure basic fundamentals of good communication absolutely you know like i said i come from a different uh different walk of life i come from medicine uh i'm not the smartest guy you know i'm i'm I, I, I somehow I passed medical school. Uh, <laughs> Says a surgeon in the room. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so like I said, I'm not the smartest guy, uh, but I guess it just takes will, you know, and I learned everything from Google and just calling people, you know, bugging. Like I said, I kept on cold calling because this was all new to me and just learning from other people network. And, uh, you know, one thing I say, your network is your net worth. 
so talk to people, you know, talk to city, talk to your local officials. Um, so basically it's all learning game. You know, I learned every day. I have a growth mindset. I don't know everything, but you got to be hungry at the same time. It wasn't easy, but it's all about persistence and consistency. Persistence and consistency is a solution in any project, any land development, you know, so, you know, I, you know, I, I have so much gray hair and this is, you know, California here, the mental torture you have to go through for land development. Um, and there's a reason why, you know, there's some things I understand why California does it. Uh, but again, you know, some days, you know, just say, what the, like, I moved from, you know, if you see, I'm one from, I moved, moved from Florida to California. I'm the only idiot one way U-Haul went from Florida to California. Where, Everybody you know, else like, the other way. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I went the other way, the other side. But in California, like I said, the California, it's, we're the most populous state. It's the most beautiful state. You know, you're one hour from the beach, one hour from the mountains, desert. Uh, so you're away from, you know, it, the scenery, the weather is great. Uh, but again, it's just, you know, you just got to be patient. If you have patience, uh, like I said, will, if there's a will, there's a way, you know, uh, success is not owned. It's, it's rent that you, uh, is due every day. So, you know, you just got to put, uh, roll up your sleeves and got to do it. I love that. And I think for people that didn't still catch the point, it's like JD is going to get paid for putting together a deal. It's like the art of putting together a deal pushing through when obstacles come up, you can make money for that. And I, I think for the longest time, if you're in a W-2 job, you're always like, hey, let me come into work. Someone's going to tell me what to do. And from that point onward, they get paid a paycheck. But you don't learn to think outside the box and to be creative with your thinking unless you meet someone like JD that says, I locked up a deal. And then I started cold calling. And then I started cold calling some more. And I eventually found a solution that allows me to put together a deal that really makes an impact on a community. So I think I want to make sure the audience caught that and emphasize that a little bit more because some people will be like, well, this sounds great, but how do I put food on the table? How do I get, make money to pay the bills? Well, this is how you do it. Learn from someone that has gone through the rings of fire and put together a really, really hard deal and navigating all the red tape. Exactly. So, you know, one thing is, and that's what like my superpower, um, you know, they always did uh, tell, you, you know, what's your super, what are you good at, what value you can bring to a team. And one thing is, I think outside the box, I'm not your average Joe, you know, uh, a lot of it is, let's talk about multifamily, uh, for instance, even affordable housing, you know, you know, a lot of single family people went to multifamily, they always thought value add value add, change carpet, paint and increase rent. Well, in multifamily, I'm just talking, let's talk about multifamily. There's so much more you can do it. I've taken multifamily uh, units and I sold it as a timeshare. I got single APN numbers on each of those things. And, you know, where where I could have sold it as a regular a multifamily, well, I made 10 times more getting a single parcel numbers on each of those units, 50 units, and it was in a destination market and I sold it as a timeshare. Uh, you know, you can, I had another project too, you know, there was one apartment complex, eight buildings, and there were four, uh, four units in each of these units. Well, I changed the lot lines and I made them into a fourplex by changing the lot line. Well, that, what the beauty of that is, it's residential financing, anything less than four people are putting three to 5%. Well, I had a line, a, 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 a line of people who want to be, there was basically a wait list, just doing things different. And the other thing is always solving problems. You know, currently, you know, always look at current events. 
just recently south of the border we had refugee problems you know people coming in and a lot of these cities didn't know what to house them and they were taking buses and shipping the problem to another state well how did i take advantage of it i went on crexy or loopnet found the oldest listings that didn't have any financials to it or couldn't be financed with the financials and i said hey let me do this i will give you you know whatever any deal fifty thousand hundred thousand you guys do the seller carrying up to 90 100 percent while i'm doing this i'm talking to city hey you want to i have this you guys have a lot of people here you have a lot of refugees you guys don't know i'm working on this the city jokingly told me hey can we send them tomorrow i said i haven't closed on it you know so literally i walked into some of these deals with zero or no money down uh, because th there are elderly couples, they didn't know what to do. Their kids didn't want to take over, and they didn't have rent rolls. They didn't have they didn't have accounting. I just master leased it to the city for the next twenty years, and I'm getting a paycheck. And I did do nothing, and they master it's a triple net. They pay the taxes. They do so. Like again, thinking outside the box, you know. In multifamily, again, we always think about value. Add other businesses within your multifamily. So uh, when within my multifamily, I walked into one of my multifamily projects and the sales manager there was on her phone. I said, why am I paying you if you're on your phone? I said, let me add a UPS store here. You know, a UPS store. Uh, basically, I got a notary certified. I have mailboxes there. People can do their FedEx UPS. And I'm making more money doing, I'm making, adding that to my NOI. And on top of that, what else can you do in a, a multifamily? You can't wash your cars. Well, you can put a portable car wash. You can lease those for $2,000. I clear $3,000 and need more business. You know, like, yeah, so you're adding amenities and a problem and you're making money. I love cell phone towers. You can make 5,000 just putting a two by two cell phone tower on a multifamily hotels or anything. Like I said, there's so much more. I mean, I can go on and on. You can well, sell your insurance, you know? Um, so like I said, the thing also is too, as a lot of these multifamily, and this is the key thing right now, um, is a lot of people buy multifamily or affordable housing, you know, it's rented up and they forget about it. They get their monthly check. But at the hindsight tiers too, part of my property managers, I make them walk on every, knock on everyone's door. Hey, how's Billy? How's Bobby? Uh, what is there we can do? I make it a community feel for them. It's a home to them now. At the same time, it saves me money because there's no turnover. I do Taco Tuesdays once a month. It hardly costs me anything. But if you see my turnover, it's hardly nil to nothing. And then the following year, I can add 3% to the rent and no one complains. And people are there for 10 to 15 years. Just simple hospitality simple things, you know, because at the same time, they are paying my rent, and I need to make take care of them, and, you know, put playgrounds and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, there's so many options. If, like I said, I always find solutions to I don't there, if, I never say no, I'll, I'll always say there's, I'll find something, you know, and the, the biggest thing too, is like, you know, in this realm of people say they cannot find financing, or we cannot raise the funds in syndication stuff. Well, there's something called pace financing fee-paced financing, where there's 30 states that was enacted for the green initiative uh, from the Biden to, so basically this is a loan that goes on the property taxes. It In California, you can go up to 49% a loan to cost or a loan 49% uh, up to loan uh, stabilized uh, on a performa. Uh, every jurisdiction is different. 
and you don't need as whatever is left over is counted towards your down payment. Um, it's between five to six percent, thirty year fixed. It's it is recourse and it goes on the property tax. It's not a first, it's not a second, it's not a third. It goes on the property. It's a loan within the property. So I've like I said, there's so many things there. You just got to know where to find it. Uh, you know and. Uh, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is like I mentioned before, in local politics and development, if there's one thing I always tell, always go to your city, local politics. you got to check where your sphere of influence, which way that city is growing. Is it growing southwest, north, east, west? The fact is, a lot of these cities have one-year plans, five-year, 30, and 100-year, because, you know, they're going to account for infrastructure, schools, water, sewer. Right. And, and so a lot of the times, you know, you can go to your economic uh, deputy director, they will, you know, take them out to lunch, they will tell so who's, you know, they'll nonchalantly tell you who's looking in the city, what retailer, I mean, it's all public knowledge, uh, you know, Walmart's coming here, they're growing to Southeast, well, you start looking for land out there, there's chips in the trades, you know, and these things you can establish this, you can one or two months, you can find something. Uh, so always, um, there's always opportunities. You just got to find it. Uh, I think it's easy, you know, but like, again, you just got to be consistent and persistent at the same time. Um, and, you know, right now in the market right now, a lot of bridge debt is due. Um, and uh, so right now there's one bank, uh, I cannot say its name, but they have $21.2 billion in distressed assets right now. They don't know what to do with it. And so what I'm telling your listeners are make relationships with banks right now. You can get these deals for hardly anything or nothing. So what is happening is meet with your asset managers, access portfolio managers, go on LinkedIn, make those connections now. Uh, because so there's three things banks can do right now. Uh, number one, they can take those distressed assets, bundle it up and sell it to another uh, bank. Well, no bank wants any of those assets because they have problems with there. The second thing they can do is right now is list it. Well, let me go one step. Remember Signature Bank that went flop after mm -hmm. Silicon? Well, their assets are coming out in the open market in three weeks. So it's starting. So, so, so back to the number two, what banks could do is they can you know list it in the open market with a broker well they have to pay for receivership asset manager it stays on the book they list it they don't know whether it's going to close because with the capital markets right now interest rates you know seven uh, you know agency debt is right now six to seven uh, uh percent bridge is at nine and a half percent so they're saying hey if this guy can't close they can't cash flow well that's a risk to them it's going to stay longer so here's the third thing, first time it's ever been done right now, is banks, uh, they're going back to the past developer list where they had done business with. They are going contacting them and say, hey, we have this asset. We will take an equity share between 5 to 30%. We will internally refinance it and hand it off to you. That is amazing. Well, you're literally, you're getting a piece of the pie for literally nothing. So that is one way. The other thing, too, is another idea that I have uh, been thinking about is buying notes, you know, syndication, buying these assets. It's the old way. This is the new way of doing things is let's say I have a project here in, I don't know, let's just say uh, where you're in San Diego. Let's say I have a note that is a million dollars. OK, uh, so this a multifamily, whatever, 50 units, uh, the note is a, a million dollars. OK and uh, the person did not make payments for two years, okay? 
So I can buy that note between 40 to 60% off that note. So let's say I buy it for 50%. So I buy that note for 500,000, okay? So well, so I'm now the bank, I'm the note holder. Um, so now in for me to, in, uh, to start the foreclosure process, I have to put it in a public auction, 10X, for example. Well, depending on the jurisdiction, to fulfill the the satisfy the foreclosure, I put it on um, 10x as an auction. So, well, I, on top of that, I can add arrears. The two years of payments they did not make legal fees. Uh, two hundred thousand of this two years of payments. The fifty thousand of legal fees. So, I put on 10x for seven hundred fifty thousand. There is an investor who wants to buy because it's still twenty five percent off. Okay. So, well, okay, I sell it to him. That's one way. I just made two hundred fifty thousand right there, because I bought the note for fifty thousand, a uh, five hundred thousand, and I had the arrears for two hundred fifty thousand. So I just wholesaled or made a money of two hundred fifty thousand. But the beauty of it here is, let's say that investor backs up, does not buy it, so it becomes real estate owned. Now I own that property. I am from the note holder. I become the owner of that land, of that property. I just bought it for five hundred thousand dollars. And I will, I can find 10 banks that will give you 50% loan to value. And you can do your value add, you can sell it immediately or cash flow it. So that's the new way. If you can syndicate deals like this, get the cash, that's where the money is at right now. So I'm always telling people make relationships with banks instead of with buyers or sellers and stuff or, or brokers. Uh, you can get some fantastic deals again. You know, just knocking on doors, talking to people with banks, you know, any deal I always see, there's an R, I mean, you know, you have your NOI, cash on cash, IRR. To me, there's also another thing too, is return on effort. How much effort I put is how much money I should get back, you know, as little I can put and how much I can get back. So I always look at how much effort and how much money I can make. Um, so sorry, I would just, I kept on going with the, current stance of the market right now. Well, that's why it's so great to listen from you, man. And I think now with the audience, not only did you learn about pace financing, you learned about how to start businesses in your own apartment buildings, like putting your own UPS business in there. And then you also create jobs and also another service for your community to hang around. And now you just learn about all these different strategies, look for other deals that stop saying there's no deals on the market you are just not talking to the right person. And now that JD has been so graciously to share where to look, like you got to start looking. Like there's no excuses for the audience listening to this anymore. You should be going out and looking at, hey, where can I buy some notes? And that might be where I get the best deals because the note is really equivalent to the property if you foreclose on it. So JD, I, like, thank you so much for sharing all those nuggets of wisdom, all those gems, because that's not what a lot of people talk about on podcasts like these because they just like to talk about theories, how many thousands of doors that they own. When in reality, this is the information that's truly helpful and life-changing for someone that might be listening to this for the first time. Um, Alvin, anything to add from your side? Well, um, nothing. To, you can't add to that. I just <laughs> wanted to tell JD, thank you for that. And uh, the things that, you know, he was talking about buying those notes and the distressed assets. Uh, Kent, the call that we had that I had right before JD jumped on was with one of our lenders, and he was the uh, troubled asset guy at one of my lenders. And he's uh, got 
That's man, you probably are the busiest guy in the house right now. And these guys do builders loans all across the country. Mm. And um he said, Yeah, they they consider me one of the most important guys. So making those kind of relationships was was that was a great nugget that you shared. Um so now the whole world knows who to contact. They need to find those troubled asset guys. So can't add to what JD put out because it was just it was great information. I just wanted to tell him thank you. Thank you, brother. Hey, JD. So we're getting near the end of the podcast. If people want to reach out to you, partner with you, JV with you, where can they find out more about you and get in touch with you? Yeah, I'll give you. I mean, I love talking to people, you know, sharing ideas. I don't know everything. I, I always learn every day. Um, you know, I'll give my personal cell phone number. Um, it's area code 916-749-0245. 916-749-0245. Or I'll also give you my personal email as well. Not my business. You can reach me anytime. My, it's <laughs> J as in Jack, D as in David, S as in Sam, I as in Ice, N as in Nancy, G as in Garage, H as in Horse, 913 at gmail.com. I'm here to service or anything I can help impact someone's life. Knowledge hey. is free. I mean, JD, uh, you know, want to definitely take the time to publicly thank you. Um, thank you for what you do on affordable housing side. It takes a lot of energy and effort, like you said, to get these deals to fruition and create housing for people that really need it. I mean, without people like you, like I would have never had the home growing up in it. Um, my life would not be where it is without people like you that advocate for the common people people that didn't come up with a lot of privilege or or pro just not the right background uh, or not even not the right background, just, just different circumstances. That's all. But you giving a lot of people the opportunity to reset and have a launching pad with a stable roof over their homes for the kids. Like, thank you so much. Seriously. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And can't appreciate you enough for coming onto this podcast and sharing the wisdom and knowledge with everybody. Um, Alvin and I had a blast listening to you today and conversating with you, and we can't wait to do a deal with you soon, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, one thing I just want to share with just one thought is, you know, you know, the, you know, a swamp is the most dirtiest water, uh, and the most beautiful flower comes out. It, it is the lily. Mm. So, you know, it doesn't matter what situation you are or anything, a, a beautiful flower grows in a swamp. So that's how life is. And, uh, you know, the only enemy is yourself. Just be consistent and push yourself. Love it. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much, JD. And we are out.